0: To, uh, the Preach What You Practice podcast. We're starting a, a new series today looking at women in leadership and uh, I'm very excited and very privileged to have my dad, Frank Green, on with me today. Hello! Hiya! <laughs> oh, it's so amazing to have my dad and uh, anything that I kind of really believe about women in leadership has, has come from this manner. I I support women in all forms Of leadership in and in the church and out of the church. And um, my dad's really helped me to see a lot of that. And so that's why I've invited him on today. Um, Dad, could you tell us a little bit about you and what you do day to day?
1: Yeah, um, not very much at the moment, (laughs) furloughed. But uh, my full time job is working with my wife in um, Redeeming Our Communities, which is a national charity. Uh, Deborah set it up 16 years ago. I've always been a, a supporter of what she's done. Um, she, what she basically does is she gets churches to think a little more outside the box and how can they work with secular authorities in different towns and cities across the country, and in in uh, in Australia as well. Strangely enough, um, and I, when I was um, uh, when I moved out of church leadership and into Operational charity work. I did a few years with Andy Hawthorne at the Message, and then um, after years of, of helping Deborah from the sidelines, I finally uh, stopped uh, resisting her prayers and uh, went to work full time with with her six and a half years ago. Yeah. So I do all the non-glamorous stuff, all the uh, all the admin, all the mechanical stuff, the operational stuff. Look after finances, HR, uh, some of the um, some of the strategy and all, all kinds of stuff. But I, basically she leads and uh, I support her like I've always done. The difference now is I do it full time for a salary rather than just in my spare time.
0: That's great. So if anything, you're kind of really formally living out the, hmm. this this belief that you've, you've yeah. had for a long time.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, and for some time when I was a senior pastor of a church, Deborah was on my team, she was part time and she was an elder she was the first female elder uh, in the church and um I was the leader, and she was she was one of the team now it's rosa reverse she doesn't like it when I say that strangely, she much prefers me to say we work together, but it's her vision it's her ministry. she started it all, and I've always helped her and now I'm doing it as a team member so yeah i'm I'm the um, aquila to her Priscilla.
0: <laughs> we will get into some of the theological stuff uh in a bit and if anybody knows deborah my mum i i am tr- trying to not be biased but she is one of the most naturally gifted leaders that yeah. you will ever meet and that's that's actually one of the biggest conundrums one of the biggest problems when it comes to this debate about women in leadership is the fact that um people like my mum and others uh even you know Lucy Pepe who's the dean of the univers theological university that I go to are such naturally gifted you know god-given leaders and, and you talk about that a lot don't you the fact that you know women are, there's a lot so many women out there that are naturally gifted with a god-given you know it's god-given this gift of leadership I don't yeah. know if you could explain a bit about that
1: yeah well um I think that was what when I first started to question the the received uh, interpretation of you know what women can and can't do in church I mean Deborah and I were converted not long after we got married and um joined an evangelical church and it was accepted that women could do certain things but not other things and we didn't challenge that we were new converts we just went along with with the understanding of it and and then Two things happened after a few years. One is I began to train for the ministry, which included studying theology at Manchester University um, as a full-time student, but a part-time trainee pastor. And I was, because it wasn't a Bible college, although I did did do a year at Bible college first, but because it wasn't a Bible college, you were encouraged to read broadly. In fact, you had to read broadly and all kinds of uh, perspectives on issues like Uh, women in leadership and lots of other things I was exposed to some of the thinking of of scholars and at the same time this is the second thing Deborah began to um, feel called to do certain things that she got off the ground and she did it very well so I began to ask myself where do these skills and gifts come from you you know taking it very uh, very basic level are these God-given gifts are they satanic <laughs> things, <laughs> or are they uh, or are they not really gifts at all? Is she deluded that she isn't a leader? Well, the best way to check if somebody's a leader is to look behind them, see if anyone's following. And um, when Deborah had ideas and projects and shared ideas with people, people warmed to it and began to get involved. you know there's the test. So she was a leader, she was modeling leadership. Where did it come from? And it has to be from God. What she was doing was good stuff in Jesus' name. And so clearly the Holy Spirit had gifted her to do these things. Now, there were certain people in church circles then. Fortunately, she didn't encounter any of this, but there were certain people who said, well, those, she, she's only doing that because there aren't any men. And let's get a man to do it and she can work alongside. Or maybe you and she can work together. That would be okay. But she can't be recognized as the main leader so i was able to access um different understandings of what the bible teaches on this thanks to the university i sat in on a course called women men and christian theology uh, which o- opened the issues of how you can read the bible in a liberating way um and that you know made made me rethink the the received tradition
0: yeah that's really good so there's there's two things really isn't there there's there's the just the kind of anthropological look perspective that actually when you look at somebody like mum there's a natural gifting there Mm. and then there's also kind of a learned a seemingly learned hermeneutic that you can actually look at the bible through the lens of liberation rather than maybe a literal perspective and is that is that something that you, has helped you navigate, you know, as a pastor when you were coming across certain things?
1: Yeah, yeah. in lots of different ways. Um, I'll simplify it in, in a way that some people won't like. Um, but I think it's true that, that you can choose how you interpret the Bible. Now, there are some things that are very clear where you can't deny You know the basics of following jesus and what christians believe you know that but there are lots of other things where there are gray areas and you you can approach those subjects uh, and sometimes you have to because they're not there are things that are happening in our world today that weren't happening in the first century in the first few centuries um so you can choose how you interpret some of these difficult verses that you have to use hermeneutical principles as well um one of them is that you can't really interpret a big issue through a small verse let's use um women as the example there are lots of verses where um women are shown to be of equal value in the scriptures Uh, probably the most famous is galatians 3 um, 20 think it is was it 28 28, Paul says there is now therefore neither male nor female slave and free Jew Jew and Greek and that when I looked at that closely years ago I thought this is a very well-crafted statement that Paul makes almost a banner maybe a slogan that he he'd repeat wherever he goes and it's clear that Paul's view of race and gender And social status in the kingdom, all those barriers are down. Now that's a major verse. Yeah, we're all one for me. Yeah, so for me, you have to look at some of the smaller verses, like we're going to look at in a minute, the one in one Timothy two. They have to come underneath that heading for me. Yeah. Now, if if you choose to, if you think now the Bible, okay, what's the question? The question is, what is the Bible for? Yeah. Is it how are we going to use the bible now if you choose i'm going to use the word of god to liberate people i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm if, imagine if you're in wilberforce's day and you're suddenly aware of the slavery issue which is huge now in the light of black lives matter you know wilberforce and others began to realize that some people are using the word of god to keep people in ownership by other people Wow! and they stopped they stopped in the tracks and thought well How wrong is that from a humanitarian perspective anyway? But to do it in the name of Jesus is absolutely evil. We've got to stop doing this. Now, you can say this exactly the same about women. And that's what I began to realize when I saw my wife and other women exercising God-given gifts of leadership and being told by others that they weren't allowed to do it because of a verse here in Scripture. Now so I went to the Bible and started to, to to think how can I use the word of God to liberate women? And then as I read and reread certain verses, I began to realize there are lots of ways of doing it. Yeah. And and when I did my master's in biblical studies at Manchester University 20 years ago now, I, I chose to write my dissertation on those verses in 1 Timothy 2. Yeah. And I came across, I, I, some, I read 20 years worth of s- recent scholarship. Condense them all into five particular, five uh, specific categories of the, of the type of a scholar that was commenting on those verses. And my basic conclusion was: there's five ways of reading these verses. Pick one. Yeah. Which one do you like best? <laughs> you know, t- two of them were very exclusive. Uh, three of them were very exclusive categories. We can't allow women to do this for these reasons. And two of them were very liberating categories. And they're all all those positions were held by eminent scholars across the spectrum
0: yeah
1: they can't all be right can they no and and so it you know that basically comes down to how what is the bible for what do you want to use the bible for and then you can find ways of interpreting scriptures that are, are difficult as long as it's not contravening a basic principle in hermeneutics
0: yeah i read the um I've read the dissertation and it's fantastic and it it, it does come down to that and there's a really good introduction actually to hermeneutics, you know, the interpretation of scripture um, and it did rub me the wrong way when I was first introduced to it. I remember, uh, and this always goes through my mind, a back and forth that me and you had a long time ago before I believed this way where I was saying the Bible's clear on everything and you said some things and I said everything and you said some things and that back and forth always stuck with my mind and when I was first introduced to hermeneutics the idea that there's a lens that you're putting on on scripture it 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 made me think of that conversation and the way I like to think about it now is you know I wear contact lenses you know when I wake up in the morning, I put I put my lens on and I see the world through that lens. Uh, and actually, anybody who sort of denies the idea that they're looking at the Bible just completely objectively, you know, it, it is it is impossible because you are looking at it through your worldview, your culture, your mindset, your schooling, your you know your education,
1: your experiences your
0: ex your life experiences what yeah. somebody's told you that god is like before you've even approached the bible yourself yeah um, and so i like to think of it as trying to come up with some rules for interpretation or maybe maybe not rules but sort of guidelines or or a helping hand and for me I, a long time ago i came up with four c's that can help you uh, interpret the bible and you might agree with this or you might not but you, you probably will, but the first C is Christ. You know, I, I'm a Christian, so I read the Bible as a Christian. I don't read parts of the Bible, you know, as a non a non Christian. I am a Christian, so I read the Bible through the the life of Christ. So when it comes to the you know the issue of women in leadership, I read verses about whether women should be liberated fully or not through well, what what was Christ like? And we all know that he probably founded the women's liberation movement. (laughs) You know, he was the first to to liberate women. And and then I want to look at context. You know, what's what's the whole of the scripture saying? Then I want to look at culture. um, You know, what was the culture at the time? And I also want to look at the canonical view of scripture. You know, what does the whole of scripture say? You know, are there verses like Galatians 3? 28 or 20 where where it says we're all one you know and so is there somewhere else in the bible that seems to maybe contradict this other verse so so and i believe that if you read the bible kind of using those four maybe guidelines it can it can bring a a good kind of perspective on and you, you can still be unstuck even using those it can still be quite difficult and and at the end of the day you probably still like you say have to choose a uh, a road to sort of take and perhaps a road of liberation yeah. is a much better road to take than uh, just holding on to the scripture just for the sake of trying to be be right but we end up oppressing a whole people group
1: absolutely
0: just for the sake of being right which is actually what happened with the slavery movement but let's look at finally just to finish 1 timothy 2 that you wrote your dissertation on and maybe specifically verse 12 where it says i do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet and um he's kind of talking about you know trying to instruct paul's
1: this this is is paul read a bit more
0: yeah um for adam was formed first then eve Yeah. And Adam was not the one deceived; it was the woman who was deceived and became a yeah. sinner. But women shall be saved through childbearing if they continue yeah. in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Yeah. Um,
1: now, is, is there a bit you know, more? Is, is there another? Is there another line? I can't remember.
0: No, there's some there's some stuff before it. A woman should learn in quietness and submission. That's verse eleven.
1: Let the woman learn. That's yeah. an important view. Okay um well let me give it 20 years it's 20 years ago josh so i'm not you know a lot of this is uh, is at the back of my mind but there's so much in there in a few minutes we can't unpack it but if anybody wants to read this i'm happy you know you can ask give people my email address and i'll send it to them yeah but um <laughs> where do you start well, i okay let's start, give us a sim uh, uh let's start with the let's start with the tense uh, yeah. right at the beginning i do not permit it can also be read i am not permitting um like a lot of tenses it's not always clear in the greek and it could and it could, my view is this is a situational uh, uh ruling by the apostle he's writing to timothy at ephesus ephesus was a very strong um center of worship of the goddess diana artemis the Artemis cult, and a lot of, well, all the leaders of the temp, in the Temple of Diana were women, and a lot of them had been converted and had joined the church in Ephesus. And because they, were, they, they brought with them experience of leadership, of, of talking, preaching, explaining the scriptures, Paul is, is saying that, hang on a minute, we can't let this happen because Adam was formed first, not Eve. See, they were teaching Eve was formed first, yeah, not Adam. And so Paul's saying there, there's an example of why we can't let these women teach or lead at the moment. And the reason I asked you to, to look at those other verses is, is let the women learn. Let them learn.
0: Wow. I never saw that before. Yeah.
1: Let them learn in quietness and submission, because some of them were probably being quite arrogant about the fact that they were leaders already. Why did they need to... You know, when people come to Christ, they don't instantly become humble disciples, do they? Can you imagine there's an awful lot of stuff happening here at Ephesus? And it's a lovely thing. One of the writers uh, that I refer to in my dissertation, Richard and Catherine Clark Kroger, a couple that wrote, their book is entitled Let the Woman Learn. Wow. Their thesis is once those women have learned the truth about what the scriptures teach, once they've learned the doctrines that we hold together, then they can lead like some of the other people, like um, Priscilla and like um, Junior and others that are mentioned in the in the by the same apostle Lydia. as co-leaders with him, as apostles like me. Yeah. You know, they're there. they can't do it just yet because they're not ready for it. They need to be properly educated, and then then when they're there when they're ready and when we've seen their gifts, there'll be all sorts of other things, their character, the same as it is for men or it should be for men. Yeah, Interesting, an interesting question there. You know, if you're a man, as long as you've got, uh, you're warm and breathing and you're willing to do some work, you can be a leader in the church, you can be an elder probably, as long as you're not, you know, visibly unholy. If you're a woman, uh, even if people believe you can be some kind of leaders, there's still an awful lot of hoops to jump through.
0: Yeah, I think Lydia led a house church as well in one of Paul's uh, yeah. letters or the writer of I. That's amazing. And there's also something else because I like the approach of sometimes even without the four Cs that I was saying before, is just taking the scripture at face value. We've talked about this before. Of let's try and take the scripture maybe just at face value, and you know even just looking at the basic English, let, let the woman learn. There's already clues in the, in the text itself. And I, I found one recently um, in a translation that I read once. It said, I do not permit, permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. And I thought the word exercise is interesting there because exercise is physical So was there perhaps something going on where there was women were trying to have a physical authority? Maybe there was a physical altercation going on there, Uh, a type of authority that's not even Christ-like. You know, Christ didn't ever exercise his authority over anybody. He never physically uh, asserted his authority over a person. And so I looked up the Greek word for authority and it was used one other time where Jesus said, I do not permit that they lord it over another. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in Mark chapter 10. And it's the only other place Jesus uses the same word here. Yeah. And he, he does not condone this type of authority that seems to exist where there's an abuse yeah. of power, a lording yeah. it over, an exercise of authority that's not part of the kingdom of God at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and there's something else you and I were talking about the other day, which I thought was probably worth mentioning if we've got a few more minutes. And yeah. that's, um, remember the word elder, because, well, first of all, that's something I should have said about when we were talking about in interpretation, hermeneutical principles. Um, one of my principles was this, I'm not going to ban something that the scripture doesn't ban. Wow. Now, we in the beginning in our church, when we I spent two years talking, taking the church through a study in this subject of women in leadership. Before we appointed our first elder, I tried to appoint two or three, but the the other two wouldn't. They were too scared, which is another issue. A lot of women, even though they're gifted, they they don't feel that they can do it because of what they've been taught and the pressure from other people. It was a really difficult time for but your mum was willing and even she took a bit of persuading and one of the things i remember saying to the church is there's nowhere in the churches as a woman cannot be an elder people have said that in the 20th century or the 18th or when it right through lots of uh, periods of history but if the if the scripture doesn't forbid something who am i to, to add my own pr- proscription um but when i looked at the word for elder I, I noticed something which I think is glaring actually, and I don't think I've picked this up anywhere else. The Greek word for elder, when we read our English and we read the word elder, the word behind that is a masculine um noun, it's presbuteros. So whenever you read uh if any of you are sick, ask the elders of the church to come and lay hands on them. The word that was used there was presbuteroi, which is a male pro a male plural noun there's also a female version of that word press butere says a different ending and wherever that appears in the greek new testament it's always translated older women older women but the other one's never translated older men Mm. so the translators have chosen to represent presbuterat presbuterat os as elder a term of office wherever it appears and they've chosen not to use the female version of that as an equal term of office whenever it appears which feels to me like the the presuppositions that you were talking about the lens that we were those translators were working with churches that were led by men popes and uh, all kinds of, of other offices that were invented, or, or some of them that appear to, to be New Testament offices, they were all male. So it was natural for the translator to say, "Well, that, those will be elders, and these will be older women, nice people who help in churches." When you take all that filter away from it, actually, it, it's a very unusual, unusual way of doing of translating things like that. Why? Why is it? Does it never say "elder S? Mm. for example mm. mystify. i still can't find, to be honest i haven't looked much into into this in detail but it does seem to me quite strange
0: strange indeed let the women lead <laughs> um thank you so much for joining me today um i also wanted to take this opportunity to publicly honor my dad he's a fantastic theologian but a fantastic father and not just somebody who preaches this stuff, uh, in fact is really not concerned with preaching this stuff anymore, but practicing it in his own life, which is the whole point of this podcast and the eventual book, is about being people who practice in our lives the life that Christ wants us to live, uh, perhaps you know before we we talk. So Christians being known for our walk rather than just talk um so it's great to have you on today thank you for joining me and uh, we're gonna have many more episodes with some other fantastic people and i will be getting on mom my fearless mom uh, to talk about this subject as well so that'll be fun but thanks dad thanks for joining me today and uh, thank everybody for tuning in